Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year 2022. We welcome you all to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550. And our website is lifecoach.amzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our eighth episode of season five, a very special guest, Karen Gross. And just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Wendy, the floor is yours. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> That's all right. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Karen Gross, and I hope that what I have to say will help you on your happiness journey. I'm an educator and an author and an artist, and I specialize in trauma and its impact on individuals. And I also address not only what trauma is and what its symptoms are, but how we can ameliorate it. And so I operate off of a framework called name it, tame it, and frame it. So if you can name what's going on, understand your trauma, understand its symptomology, then you can alleviate it. It will never go away, but you can alleviate it. And then the frame, you can create an architecture for holding it like a frame of a house, but also you can frame it like a piece of art to recognize its importance. So name, tame, and frame is what I do. And I help schools and I help organizations and I help individuals deal with trauma and its aftermath. And um, pre-pandemic, I did a lot of crisis management and disaster relief. So I would go to concert shootings and school shootings in the aftermath and help places restart after what happened to them. And with the pandemic um, and its enormous impact on all of us, I've worked to help individuals, families, schools, organizations um, manage and navigate as effectively as they can on a go forward basis. So uh, here's my hope. My hope is that these strategies are ones that one can actually use on a day-to-day basis in one's life because I think of trauma like an invisible backpack. You carry it with you. And as you move forward in time, that backpack grows. And you may not even know what's in your own backpack. You may know, or you may know parts of it, but you may not know all of it. And a trauma backpack keeps growing because one of the features of trauma is that it gets re-triggered. Mm-hmm. Although I use a different word than re-triggering, which seems to me like a really scary observation. I talk about new traumas that hit what I call tuning forks that are in us. So our early trauma are all tuning forks. And when something happens now, it sets off that earlier tuning fork. 
And one of the things that happens when that earlier tuning fork gets set off is that it causes an outsized reaction. And so when something happens and you start noticing that your behavior is like way out of the ordinary, the likelihood is that it's something from your current life that tripped off something in your earlier life that set off a tuning fork. And actually, I tell people to get a fork mm-hmm. and wrap it in musical notes and keep it next to you so that when you have an outsized reaction, you have a symbol of, oh, right. That's the tuning fork, the fork that plays music and sets off sometimes something as loud as an orchestra when things are wrong. So that's the work I do. Um, I've written a lot about trauma. Um, I have a new book on trauma called Trauma Doesn't Stop at the School Door. Um, But I also write children's books and trauma-sensitive and trauma-responsive children's books. And it's a series of books called the Lady Lucy's Quest series. And the latest book just came out titled Lady Lucy's Morgan Horse Quest. And these all can be read to children, with children, by children. Um, And it helps them not only appreciate the story, but raises important underlying questions and enables them to read with fun and pleasure and laugh and smile and restore the joy and connectedness that trauma takes away. So that's who I am. I should also add, I should also add Dr. Dan that I do teach. Um, I teach at the Rutgers School of Social Work, um, but I also teach at other places and um, I teach courses in trauma and trauma amelioration and trauma anniversaries and leading in a time of crisis and things like that. But I also teach um, how to write and illustrate children's books. So I cover a wide span in terms of my teaching repertoire. I can see that, Karen. Wow, that is really amazing. And I really love the metaphor that you said about trauma backpack. Um, The fact that you use the word backpack, is it because we're referring to the past trauma and that's why it's positioned in the back and not the front? Or (laughs) is that something that you came up with the trauma? Because obviously, as you know, um, those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorders, um, they tend to always have the, the need to go back or when there's a trigger, they remember that trigger, they remember those feelings of that trigger and that basically dictate their behavior today. And trauma will always come back. Like you said, you accumulate trauma from years to years, depending exactly if you resolve the trauma or if you're able to manage the feelings towards that trauma. So what would you recommend someone who is actually accumulating a lot of trauma throughout their lives and to be able to manage those triggers or manage those feelings? So I'm, I'm going to show you an example, but One thing I want to mention about the backpack is that one of the reasons I use the term backpack is it's something we carry. It's something that's with us. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we try to carry enough that we can manage, but sometimes that backpack gets really heavy. And then when that happens, like your backpack grows and grows and grows, it gets harder and harder and harder to carry it with you. So for me, the backpack is about traveling with your trauma 
and finding ways to make the backpack manageable. So um, I wanna give you two strategies that I use that may be helpful um, to your listeners. So if you put your hand like this, your elbow like this, okay. And your thumb here is your limbic system, your feelings. And what goes over them, your fingers is your cognition. And this part here, your wrist, is the what's known as the primitive brain or the reptilian brain. And that's where our autonomic nervous system is housed. And that's what leads to our fight, flight, freeze, fawn and faint stuff. But when there's a trauma, here's what happens to our brain. So this is our brain. It literally flips out. So when kids say I'm flipped out, they're not wrong. They're literally flipped out. And so part of the job is to figure out how do you get the limbic system back and the cognition back and the autonomic nervous system under control? Because if you can't do that, your feelings are cut off and your cognition is cut off and you're operating here from the reptilian brain. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is to recognize that you're flipped out. That's a really important part of this. Name what's happening. So when you see an outsized reaction, when something seems way out of the ordinary, that's kind of like a clue. And then you can think about, okay, I get it. I'm flipped out. Kids, by the way, If you teach them this, they can come up to you and go, oh, I'm here, I'm here. I'm having one of those flipped out moments. You can help them restore because our thoughts, our feelings and our behavior are all intertwined. So when you're flipped out, our capacity to deal with all that is problematic. So one thing that I think is really helpful is for people to create what I call trauma toolboxes. Um, You can call them break boxes or care boxes. You can give them any name you want. But in them, you put things that will um, enable the autonomic nervous system to calm down. And the way to do that is to put in things that use our five senses. And I'd add a sense um, balance. Um, So you put in something that you can see, something you can feel, something you can smell, something you can touch, something you can taste, and you create a trauma toolbox and you put it, you stuff it with things, everything from lifesavers to Play-Doh to Slinkies to um, pipe cleaners to crayons to paper to a little pine scented something and finger puppets and mirrors and things like that. And you stuff it all into a box. And once you know you have a trauma toolbox, you know that when things feel out of control, you can open the box Mm -hmm. and use one or more of the things in it to help you re-regulate. And even knowing that you have a toolbox, a trauma toolbox is often enough to help people calm themselves down. So it's not just the insides of the box that matter, it's the outsides of the box that matter. And so I think one of the best strategies is to actually create these boxes, the creation of them in and of itself is a recognition of what's going on. And then when you create them, 
then you can later use them. And if you want, you can share them or help others make them. So for me, recognizing what's going on and then developing an ameliorating strategy are the best approaches to dealing with the trauma and its re-triggering. If we use your uh, idea of uh, putting everything in one box, then the concept of compartmentalization is no longer applicable because you, if people are already in a traumatic experience or dealing with something traumatic, they are so mixed up. So if you put everything in one box and they want to be able to open that box, what am I looking for in that box? There's so many different things. So isn't it like a, another approach that we have to kind of like divide like, okay, this is a little toolbox for uh, the happy things. This is a toolbox for the useful things. This is a toolbox for this. So this way, when they are experiencing a specific issue, they will know which toolbox to go to instead of going to one and starting to look for things, mentally speaking, that is. <laughs> okay, so I agree that compartmentalization is a problem, right? And we put things in compartments and don't want to deal with them. And the things that we really don't want to deal with, we put them not just in compartments, but we stick a lock on there so that it doesn't get unlocked. Um, in essence, what we're doing is we're like trying to take a big rug and cover everything up. But frankly, in today's world, there is no rug big enough to cover all that's going on. So I actually don't believe in multiple toolboxes. I believe in one toolbox that you can use for multiple problems. Okay. Because the reality is that you don't want to compartmentalize. What you want to do is create a place where you can go and reflect and re-regulate. And so what it's not, it's the opposite of a compartment. It's a place and space where you can find your way forward. And so while it's called a trauma toolbox, it isn't meant to be constraining. It's meant to be the opposite. It's meant to give you the tools that you need to re-regulate so you don't compartmentalize, so you don't lock things away, so you don't bring out that rug to try to cover up everything bad that's happening only by the way to find out that the rug doesn't worsen, work and you're worse off for having brought out the rug than not having it at all. I see, okay. Now, um... What would you suggest someone if, let's say, they're carrying too much trauma in that backpack, how can they learn to start emptying it so that this way it doesn't get too heavy and it stops them on their track or they cannot continue their journey the proper way? Okay, so let me tell you what not to do. Turn the backpack over and dump it out. Okay, that doesn't work. Okay. What you need to do is process the trauma. You need to see what it is understand it, and then deploy strategies that will ease it. So denial is not the right approach. Dumping it out isn't the right approach. Processing is the right approach, whether you do it on your own or with the help of someone else. Because if you can understand it, if you can identify it, you can start to use strategies to ameliorate it. Okay. And the best amelioration strategies, in addition to understanding, is to communicate 
and engage and restore joy and play and happiness. Because one of the things trauma takes away, literally takes away, is our neural pathways for connection. The brain is wired for connection. One of the things trauma does is it disconnects us. So we have to build ways to reconnect, mm -hmm. not only with ourselves, but with others. And so finding pathways for connection becomes hugely important. And whether you do that by buying a box of paper clips or having a box of paper clips in your trauma box where you actually put the paper clips together into a long chain so you realize the act of reconnecting, um, or you talk to someone who can connect with you and help you reestablish neural pathways. So the good news is our brains are plastic, right? There's plasticity. So you can rebuild what trauma takes away. Now you never get rid of the trauma, but you can rebuild connections, which is why some people, when they're traumatized, isolate themselves, they disassociate from themselves. And so what they're showing you is that their connectivity got disconnected by the trauma. Okay. And so you wanna restore connectivity and there are a variety of ways to do it, um, but the trauma toolbox can be one of them. I see, so basically it's like anger management, but this is trauma management because there's no anger, for, there's no cure for anger per se. If someone is angry, road rage, whatever it is, they're gonna be angry all the time, but just have to manage those triggers that brings them to the point of lashing out and being super angry like the Incredible Hulk. Now, in this case of trauma, when someone have lost uh, a loved one or and, and this feeling of void that they have, that they're carrying in that backpack, it's not that you can suddenly make them not feel the pain or make not make not them feel the missing part of that person that just, you know, that just passed away. So this part, I know that time will start dissipating those feelings. I understand that. But for someone who's going through grievance and this pretty traumatic experience for them, what other tools can they use to be able to, I mean, understand that trauma and be able to work with it? Um, so a really good question. I want to just go back to anger for a minute. So anger is what I call a secondary emotion, right? Anger is what you display, but there's usually something under the anger that's causing it. So if you get angry, it's useful to ask the why question, like, why are you so angry? Like what really happened? So anger is a manifestation of something else underneath. The same is true for trauma and its symptomology. You have to understand the why. You have to recognize what happened and then you have to not forget it, you have to process it. So if you think about all the deaths that we've had, mm -hmm. all the ways in which our normal traditions for dealing with loss have been changed, right? So religious ceremonies or get-togethers or memory-making events, all of those have changed. So you have to say to somebody, so how can you find a way 
to memorialize someone when the traditional ways of doing it are not there? Well, the answer isn't to forget about it or to not do it. It's to come up with new traditions and new approaches and new ways that allow you to connect with what's happened. What you don't wanna do is pretend something didn't happen and it will go away because it may go away for a short term, but it's going to come back. So the idea of processing it and developing new traditions, new ways of managing is really helpful. And so if you rely on old traditions and those are gone because of the pandemic or something else, you need to replace them with new traditions, new things that you do. So maybe you couldn't have a party where you told stories funny and sad about someone's life, but you could create a podcast, mm -hmm. could create a YouTube, you could share them online, you could have an event where you showed pictures and photographs. So you have to think about a new way to navigate forward and find a pathway. That is actually an amazing strategy, uh, Karen. It's we, a lot of people, what I've noticed and I've read uh, several articles about that new topic, I'm not sure if you've heard about it. Um, they call it toxic positivity, mm -hmm. where you see people expressing their feeling towards a loss, uh, like a grievance, whatever it is. And then the other person, instead of like um, understanding what's going through, they, they will say, you know what? you know, that person that passed away, they don't want to see you this way. You have to snap out of it. You have to kind of like move on with your life. So despite the fact that this, this advice makes sense, it is also toxic because that person who's going through the grievance, they don't have time to really, or they don't, they cannot even express themselves towards their support group to tell them how they feel because their support group is telling them to snap out of this feeling that they're in. So that society is becoming more and more that because we expect everyone to be positive. We expect everyone to be happy. We expect everyone. So all this pressure start weighing on people and they cannot have the chance to be able to um, express themselves and express their pain. So, okay, so I'm going to show you something that I use. Okay. These are called mood swings. Okay. Okay, they're swings and there are moods on them. When someone dies, you don't have to be sad all the time. Our moods change. Our moods can change from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, week to week. So I keep mood swings on my desk to remember that when bad things happen, yes, you feel sad. Yes, you may feel angry, but at other times you can feel happy. You can have good memories. You're not snapping out of anything. There's no way to snap out. You have to process your way out. And mood swings for me are a really good reminder of how to do that. I hope you can see my mood. Yes, swings. I can see it, yeah. <laughs> or your listeners can picture them. Mm -hmm. They're little swings on a miniature um, bar that mm -hmm. swing back and forth with emotions tied into them. Okay, so each of those swings, they one of them was happy, the other one was sad, the other one was mad, the other one was like, uh, so how, 
so joyful they, and angry joyful so if let's say they feel angry they just kind of like flick that swing what what will that do mentally for them well first of all it's acknowledging what you're feeling that's a really important start but it's also important to see it in context right anger is not the only thing that you'll be feeling it's mm-hmm. what you're feeling now Correct. And most people don't recognize that their feelings change over time. They think, oh my God, I'm going to be angry forever. No, you're not going to be <laughs> angry forever. And in fact, some people feel guilty at certain points because they're happy, even though the circumstances are sad. It's okay. We, we have many moods. We go through many phases and many stages and it's okay. Our emotions are fluid and flexible and we have to welcome all of them and acknowledge them. I see. Now, when it comes to, um, you said that in the beginning, you said that you went to school after school shootings and, and uh, to be able to help those who got involved, to be able to understand and manage their trauma. So, but when it comes to kids, which are not as developed as adults, How do they process this trauma compared to us or compared to older people? Well, I mean, there are a whole group of students right now who are young, who are traumatized by what's happened by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And when there's a school shooting or a flood or a fire, there are also a group who are deeply affected by what's happened and how you help kids navigate through trauma is often related to, but not identical with how you help adults. So for me, play therapy, um, talk and engagement, use of materials that um, you can have in your hands, painting, drawing, dance. These are all strategies that help kids to re-regulate themselves. But hiding the emotions, hiding from them is not a strategy. Finding ways to express them is vastly more important. And do you find more success with the kids to express themselves better than adults? Or adults, they feel that I, you know, I'm older, I should repress my feelings, I should not uh, show them to other people, I should kind of like just deal with it as an adult. But kids, they have the tendency to kind of like express themselves better. They, they don't fear rejection, they don't fear to be exposed by others and to make and let them know that, hey, you know what, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I want to solve, let's get it done. So do you feel that it's easier to deal with kids versus adults at this point? Well, not all kids trust, not all kids are comfortable, not all kids can express themselves. (laughs) So I, you know, I I think it's hard. It also depends what happened to them and the family circumstance in which they're growing up. But I think it's fair to say that children have enough time to be resilient Mm -hmm. and to find pathways forward. Whereas adults have lots of old patterns and older behaviors and older systems to try to control an out of control world. Mm -hmm. 
So in that sense, it is somewhat harder to work with adults. Um, but I, I have never found, I, I don't distinguish between them in terms of their capacity to grow and to flourish. I mean, one of the huge benefits of our brains is that we have a continual capacity mm-hmm. to grow and to learn and to flourish and mm-hmm. our brains keep changing. And so I don't distinguish between the young and the old and everyone in between. I believe in the power of the possible um, for all people, all children, all adults, whatever their age or race or ethnicity or particular circumstance. And that is so true. So how can any of our listeners who actually are going through uh, any type of trauma can find you? So I have a website. It's education, which is my name. Okay. com. So my website has my books, it has articles I've written, it has a contact form to get in touch with me. Um, my books, if you just Google Karen Gross and trauma, most of my books are Karen Gross education or Karen Gross children's books, all my stuff will pop up on the web and you can find those. Um, but if you want to find me, my website um, Um, has how to contact me and I respond to people who reach out. So I hope your listeners will feel free to do that um, if I can be of help. Beautiful. Well, Karen, that is all the time that we have for today's episode. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you have all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season five of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you're listening to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Dreams don't have to be just dreams. You can make it a reality. If you keep pushing and keep trying, then eventually you'll reach your goal. And if that takes a few years, then that's great. But if it takes 10 or 20, then that's part of the process. Nothing great happens quickly. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's not worth pursuing. Always remember that you're in control of what you do with your dreams. Either let them pass by, do nothing and regret it for the rest of your life, or spend the rest of your life making sure that they become a reality. The choice is yours. Make it the right one. My name is Dr. Dan Emzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.